0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cone of Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Doctor Andy Rourke. Guys, um, take your blood pressure medicine for this one, but um, we're just talking. Don't nobody, need, nobody needs to get super fired up. Uh, we're just, we're just talking. But boy, are we talking about a topic that gets people real excited. Uh, we're talking about veterinary nurse practitioners um, at the Veterinary Innovation Summit recently. There was a conversation that happened in a public forum about, hey, what about Vet nurse practitioners and people got real feisty uh, real fast, apparently. So this um, is it something that I've been thinking about. It's something that a lot of people post about on social media. And of course they do. And pet owners ask about it because it's what they see in their uh, in their health care. And they go, well, you know, I don't see a MD when I go and get medical care for wellness stuff. Um, you know, maybe I don't have to see a vet for wellness stuff. Either, and uh, I, I get it. I get where the com- where the question comes from. I think sticking our head in the sand and not talking about it or thinking about it is probably the worst thing we could do. So here we are. I get into this with uh, Ken Yegi. He is the chief medical officer at Veg. He is a past president of NAVTA, the North American Vet Tech Association. He is um, super technician. He has done all the things, and he is generally a very thoughtful very measured, very introspective person who I respect a lot and I respect his ideas and opinions a lot. And so I just I was just looking for someone that I could sit down with and say, let's talk through this because I just I, I don't know what I don't know. And so guys, that's the that's the conversation today. And we really get into it. And again, has got great perspective, really interesting, uh, really interesting guy, really interesting insight. And, and we talk a vet nurse practitioner. So without further ado, let's get into this episode this is your show we're glad you're here we want to help you in your veterinary career welcome to the cone of shame with dr andy Rourke. welcome to the cone of shame veterinary podcast ken yagi thanks for being here thanks for having you oh man always a, always a pleasure ken you are uh, for those who don't know, the Chief Veterinary Nursing Officer at uh, Veterinary Emergency Group, or VEG. Um, I met you, I think, back when you were the president of NAVTA, the North American Veterinary Technician Association. Uh, you worked at Adobe Animal Hospital where the one and only Kelsey Beth Carpenter, who is a good friend of mine, works, and Jamie Holmes worked there as well. and uh, And in between, Adobe Animal Hospital and Veg. You were at Cornell. You have won all of the Veterinary Technician Awards. You were California VMA's Vet Tech of the Year. You have a number of other awards. Uh, I heard that you received a new award last night uh, at the IVEX conference. Tell me about that real quick. Uh,
1: So it was the AVEC then, the Academy of Veterinary Emergency Critical Care Technicians and Nurses uh, Specialty Technician of the Year Award.
0: Very nice. And then you got to be involved in the Veterinary Technician Specialist Pinning Ceremony. Uh, Tell me about that. What was it it like to be involved with that? Uh, It's
1: an amazing experience for sure that um, each year uh, the people who have gone through the VTS certification process and finally passed their exam, uh, they come back and get pinned the next year. And that's kind of like a milestone for people. And I remember it being such a special um, experience for myself that made me say, wow, this was such a huge accomplishment. I want to do more and more in this uh, profession and in my career. And it's just the closeness that we have of people who have, over the course of the years, mentored each other, uh, encouraged other people to pursue this area of specialty and um, help them get there. Because I, I can think of many, many names like Nancy Shackrin, Harold Davis, Andrea Steele, Amy Newfield, people who had just pushed me one step at a time so that I can get to where I am. And each and every person in that room probably had different names they were thinking about as I was telling my story of how I came to be that, that they could replace. And that, keep, that circle just keeps growing. So it's such an amazing group of people that the pinning ceremony yeah. really represents that.
0: Yeah. I, um, I think that of any group in vet medicine, the emergency and critical care circle is probably the most tight-knit group. And the reason I say that, so I've been, I've been to a lot of vet meetings and a lot of vet conferences. And the IVEX conference and the emergency critical care people always strike me as being a tight-knit group. And I really think, I've thought a lot about this, I really think it's because they have this shared uh, challenge, almost like this shared lifestyle that other people don't necessarily understand or aren't really a part of they they talk about the we we are the night walkers we fear the sun you know we we sleep during the day while others live and live their lives and uh and they kind of bond over the experiences of emergency and critical care and it just just what it means to live that lifestyle but then also just it's a, it's a different type of medicine, right? You don't have necessarily the same relationships with clients because they're coming to an emergency basis. You see a different type of cases. You're not doing Bordetella vaccines at 3 in the morning, uh, generally stuff like that. And so I really do feel like this group kind of has a lot in common, more so than they have in common maybe with the rest of the of the industry. And so I just feel like that's a really tight-knit group. I think that's always been the most interesting to me about the emergency critical care circles. I brought, I brought you on because you are the most tapped into... Uh, the veterinary technician world of of almost anyone that that I know, and and I had something that that I've been rolling around in my mind, and and it sort of came to a head about two two three weeks ago. So uh, there's a there's a conference called the Veterinary Innovation Summit. It happened in Kansas City a couple of weeks ago, and I was not there. Apparently at the VIS. Um, There was a discussion of the shortage of veterinarians and how there's not enough veterinarians to get all of the workload done and how cases are up and a lot of people are feeling really overwhelmed. And the obvious sort of follow-up question was that was something like, hey, have we thought about having the equivalent of a nurse practitioner in vet medicine? What if we had a type of technician or what if there was a way that technicians could move farther up? And start to do some of the wellness work that veterinarians do. Maybe they could start to do some of the things that that our veterinarians currently hold the reins on, and they could take some of the workload off of the veterinarians. And what would that be like? And at that point, uh, from my understanding, the room exploded, and people were throwing chairs, and a brawl broke out, and uh, the snack table was overturned, and the whole place just went to hell in a handbasket because people get real excited. When you start talking about veterinary nurse practitioners and them doing things that doctors do, and some people are like, "This is great! It'll free doctors up. It's good for capacity. The doctors can can work at the top of their degree. The technicians can work at the top of their degree." I think other people sort of say, "Don't you dare take anything off my plate!" Um, and, and there's just there's a there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of emotion around the topic. And so and I'm hearing this. I'm seeing it more and more online. And again, you know how conversations are online they immediately get real emotional and just the utility of the conversation falls apart. I don't know as much about what's possible and where we are as I would like to. So I I wanted just to talk to you about that. Can you, first of all, just start off real high level. Can you give me a rundown on sort of where we are in credentialing for technicians in general? What is that? and, And technician specialty. Um, what, is it, what does that let technicians do? Um, yeah, what does it do as far? Are, are we really elevating technicians in a way that is meaningful to their career? So let me just start with that. Sure. Um, and just to start out, I'll say that that
1: conversation has been around, uh, the nurse practitioner conversation has been around since uh, 2005. That there was an article published back then. And back then, people threw chairs at each other as well. But <laughs> <laughs> More so now than today, maybe, but um, things have changed a little bit. But with that said, with uh, technician um, credentialing, um, we do know that. Um, there's uh, 40 states that have uh, licensure within each of the states, um, and there's 10 states that have private credentialing that, uh, which means they don't uh, there's no requirement for anyone to be credentialed in order to practice as a veterinary technician. but uh, in all of these states, uh, we basically do are able to do things aside from what licensed veterinarians are or what's restricted to licensed veterinarians which are things like uh, providing a diagnosis, providing a prognosis, prescribing treatments and medications, uh, and performing surgery. So anything else is under the supervision of the veterinarian uh, done by people who are non veterinarian and so, uh, in many of those states, those people are licensed as, registered as, or certified as uh, veterinary technicians, and that, that's what we tend to take on. And some of the other, some of those states would restrict what's called the scope of practice, what veterinary technicians can actually do, to those individuals who are licensed. Uh, state of New York, State of California, those are the ones that kind of stick out in my head, just in the sense of where I've been. And so uh, that's where there are. Conversations surrounding um, utilize, utilization, how do we divide up the types of activity and tasks that need to be performed within a veterinary practice and uh, function best as a team? And uh, you, the topic of utilization, obviously, is a huge topic right now for um, uh, throughout veterinary medicine, but for our profession and that uh, there are many people who come into this field who go through schooling. Get credentialed, finally get out onto the um, the clinic floor, and they feel like they haven't been able to grow in the way that they wanted to. They're not serving the role that they imagined they would be because there's a lack of utilization. So, if the limit is everything except for those four things that is for uh, that's restricted to licensed veterinarians, we're not achieving quite that high. Like I, it, Heather Prendergast is a good friend of mine. And I have done a good amount of um, workshopping, uh, talking to people and doing some practice assessments in the level of utilization, for example. And uh, the initial re- uh, results that we were getting on that was uh, people were utilizing their technicians maybe about 30 to 40% level, which is, you know, there's huge uh, room for growth.
0: Yeah, talk to me a little bit more about that. So so when you say practices are using technicians at 30, 40% of their possible level, like like what do you see? Tell, tell me tell me what that looks like. Tell because, Give me a contrast between a, a practice that's at 30% utilization and a practice that's at 75 or 80% utilization. What's the difference in those practices?
1: The difference probably has to do with many factors, but uh, some of them that, that I could think about would be maybe the type of practice and uh, more primarily how busy the practice might be. If there's increased caseload, then the veterinarian is not able to take care of everything that needs to be done on the animal. And so then that I think that's where the technicians start to get utilized more and more out of necessity. So if you think about the type of practice, the field that sticks out uh, in the forefront of my mind, obviously, is emergency and critical care. Uh, In the emergency room, there's urgency. There's, you know, a need to get these uh, people uh, in and seen based on how life threatening it is. And you need to have all the people available to perform all the tasks that are needed to help the animal in the most efficient way possible and so out of necessity we utilize our technicians better.
0: I guess I, what I'm wondering is I think about my practice and I'm going I, I have no idea what percentage utilization our technicians are at so I guess that's what I'm looking for you is from guidance is like what exactly are technicians doing when they're well utilized compared to uh, the majority of practices where they're not well utilized what, what are the what are the actual things that they do in their job that other people go oh I can't believe technicians do that or oh we don't use our technicians that way so let me start the other end sure sure. so
1: taking a look at where technicians may not be utilized very well um, if veterinary technicians in the uh, clinic is doing a lot of the uh, clerical work um, if they are doing reception work if they're doing a lot of the kennel work and maybe they're the ones that are sure like showing people into the rooms and such uh, but if that's on a regular basis then that's a Kind of like the lowest end of utility that you could think about like that's not yeah. what a technician is trained for so then once you start going up uh you know further in that route um then uh the technicians would be the ones that are drawing blood and uh submitting uh, blood samples and uh, maybe looking at slides and uh, things like that right and then it gets more and more complicated into placing iv catheters placing urinary catheters um there's uh that's sort of like the maybe the middle level where you're still utilizing technicians to be a sort of the task doers that that there's a -hmm. there's a task to be performed and then the technicians are performing those tasks based off of the doctor giving orders and then i think once it gets to the higher and higher end it turns more into a thinking job in that are they assessing the patients taking uh, listening to the heart and lungs Uh, in terms of not just the rate, but the characteristic of the sounds that they're getting, making an assessment and trying to turn it into recommendations, uh, problem lists, and then recommendations on how to correct that. Uh, That's uh, one level uh, that I would like to see technicians go further and further into so that they are actually a part of the decision-making process of what happens to the patients. Um, A common example that I can bring up is uh, CPR. Uh, how do you perform CPR on an animal? And who tends to be the leader of uh, that, that CPR effort? Who's giving the orders? It's often the veterinarian, but at the same time, a very well-trained technician who sees arrests more commonly, the person that is more experienced is the one that should be able to lead that, that code the best way possible. But by default, most people think that the veterinarian is the one that should be doing that. And so that's another level of uh, expertise, experience, training that the veterinary technicians could uh, obtain that puts them actually to be in the better position to lead the code so that the veterinarian can focus on what's going on with this patient? Why has this patient arrested? What are the treatments for that? And then also taking on the direct client communication uh, during that situation so that, that there's no relaying happening and efficiency loss there
0: when people talk about the veterinary nurse practitioner idea how does that look different like what, what exactly would that be i, I know that people so if, if they put that term out and go oh well, what about this uh is there any sort of a of a vision around that about like what that what that job role might look like or what those people might do when we think about nurse practitioner uh, so uh taking a look at how the laws
1: currently are set up where those four things are restricted to licensed veterinarians, we could push technicians up right up to that level, right? And so some of the things that I think about that are very advanced that, that technicians could be doing. Should, they should be doing ultrasound exams, they should be doing uh, thoracosynthesis. could they unblock a cat? you know those are the kinds of things that uh, you know within the law you can do because that's not surgery. It doesn't mm-hmm. alter tissue. Um, and then uh, uh, but at the same time, those kinds of things need to happen once the veterinarian has some kind of a diagnosis and has prescribed that treatment yeah the nurse practitioner goes beyond that in that now we're talking about changing the laws so that people who are not licensed veterinarians can perform some of those tasks in terms of doing the physical examination process and being able to come up with a diagnosis, which then allows them to formulate plans to prescribe a certain treatment and obviously be able to carry that out too. Uh, But then uh, on the human medicine side, uh, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, they can perform surgery
0: as well. So when these conversations come up, the people who are, are pushing it, um, you know, they, they generally are, are pushing towards, you know, having um, decreased workloads, increased efficiency, utilizing technicians, probably raising technician salaries, all, all of these things that are, are probably really good for our industry. They're probably, they're definitely really good for, for technicians. What is the pushback against this? What are the most, what are the most common arguments against? Veterinary nurse practitioner position that you hear. Well, what are you hearing out there? So, <laughs> what do I hear about it? Um, yeah. So, so that's a fair question. I, I guess. I guess what I hear is that that there's too much of a distance between veterinary technician credentialing and vet school. You know, you talk about, um, you know, uh, say they'll say a two year pr- credentialing program for technicians versus four years of undergraduate work and then four years of vet school. And you go, man, the difference between two years of what we have now and eight years for veterinarians, you go, wow, that, that's a massive difference. And we would have to have infrastructure to bring uh, nurse practitioners up, you know, up to a level where they would be in between, like truly be in between in their training, in between doctors and technicians. So I, I do hear I do hear some of that of, hey, this is not a small jump that we have from licensed technicians up to doctors now. And so bridging that gap to really create something that is, that is in between is, is going to require some infrastructure and some training that we don't have. Um, I I also I also hear a lot of pushback about, um, you know, just just actually changing state licensures to get things done. And people kind of sort of fatalistic view and go, oh, that's that's a bridge so far. Uh, I just I just don't know if we can do it. And I think what they're not saying, and this is just 100 percent my opinion, I I think that veterinarians, I love veterinarians, I, I see myself as a veterinarian. I, I think a lot of us do have sort of a scarcity mentality where even when we're drowning in work, we still live in this fear that all of a sudden, pet owners are gonna stop coming in and we're all going to be you know, out of jobs and unemployed. And so the idea of, of giving this work up, um, I think there's a lot of reasons for it, but I think a lot of people just really truly struggle with um, with handing this work away. And then the idea that you're not getting this work back. Like once you give it away, this is the the genies out of the bottle, and and you're not getting this work back. And so I I think those are the big ones. I hear.
1: And I think that uh, the last one that you mentioned is probably the one that um, stands out in the forefront of my mind is that the uh, the history of the this conversation and the. Uh, Um, opposition that it has faced that originally was uh, mostly related to the fact that it's also the same in the human medicine field, by the way, as these professionals came out, um, is that uh, we're impeding on the veterinarian scope of practice and in uh, the human medicine side, nurse practitioners largely have independent practice rights. And so then they can open their own practice. So then it turns into competition for veterinarians. Mm-hmm. And that's the historical um, you know, look at all that. But uh, when I said that things have sort of changed um, over the course of the years is that, that we can't keep up right now. There's not enough veterinarians and all the practices are suffering in terms of trying to find the the uh, enough people to be able to help all the patients that we're seeing. And so we're starting to see this demand um, rise up. And so we're starting to think about potential solutions to meeting that demand. And that's where this conversation is uh, pushing more and more over to the, maybe the individuals or practices that felt like this maybe wasn't a good idea is now starting to consider it more and more because it's going to be helpful and they see
0: that. Yeah, I, I had Dr. Dave Nickel on the podcast a couple of weeks back and I, I love Dave and we generally get along really well and see eye to eye. We did not see eye to eye on the at the end of the podcast, um, which is fine. Uh, uh, the biggest thing we did not see eye to eye about on the end of the podcast is it's always been my position that um, I like the fact that general practitioners in vet medicine do a lot of things. And I, and I think that there's a lot of place for us a lot of ways for us to find our path and sort of craft ourselves to the type of medicine that we want to practice and and also to what sort of pet owners need. Dave, I think, felt that there was a real danger of um, specialty medicine carving away at what we do and and sort of some low-cost low options sort of taking away some wellness care from your traditional vet clinic and, um, you know, we, we didn't really get into technician licensure, but I can 100% see, and, and I guess I, I have a little bit of concern sometimes when I look at, especially look at human medicine. Now that we're talking about that, you know, the general practitioner in human healthcare is pretty much gone. Uh, that you know you can you can find one, you can find your GP, um, but they are rare, and they're generally tied to you know pediatrics and internal medicine, uh, you know, out- outlets. And so that, I guess that's sort of my my thought is. When we talk about nurse practitioners, is that a step towards pushing our profession to mirror human medicine where people very quickly, you know, come in, they see a base level sort of intake uh, physician or caregiver, and they quickly get pushed up to a specialist? I I don't know the economics of our profession support that, but I I still, I I have those concerns. Does that mean anything when I say it to you? Probably not
1: something that I've thought about uh, too much on. Um, I could see that concern. But when it comes to the nurse practitioner concept on all that, um, I don't know if it would necessarily contribute.
0: No, I, I, as I said, I, as, I, as I rule it around, I, I don't, I have a hard time imagining a world where pet owners just readily plunk down the kind of cash that it takes to see a specialist and, and rightfully so to see a specialist. You know what I mean? There, there's not a lot of them there. They're hard to get to. Um, I do have some con- concerns towards the career of a vet becoming one where, yep, you do a residency, that's just what you do. And I go, man, the economics of this profession really don't work that well right now. And if the norm becomes doing four more years of low wage work to get to a specialty place, I, I, I think I'm not sold on that being a good thing for doctors. And the other thing is, you know, we look at affordability and accessibility of vet care for the general population now, and I go, I don't know that that I know that that's not good for pet owners, right? Like we we already are are hitting uh points where we get a lot of pushback about price and and what medicine costs as a profession, and I think we're sort of trying to address that. So, I, I, to me, I, I just I but I hear that concern from from other people and saying, you know, where when you've got specialists and then you if you have nurse practitioners, where does the general practitioner lie? And so I, as I think about pushback, I think it's probably unstated, but I think that that question, that question of identity is probably going to be the biggest driver of pushback is who am I if I'm no longer doing this work? If other people can do this work, I'm not I, you know I, I don't I don't know that I feel safe. And so i i I could see that just I think a feeling of safety is going to have to is going to have to come from somewhere. and i i, I don't I don't know what's going to make that happen.
1: Right. And I, I think that when we talk about it in broad terms, saying like nurse practitioners are going to be able to diagnose, prognose and yeah, prescribe and do surgery, it makes it feel like we're just replacing veterinarians, but that's not what we're talking about that um, uh, it would be uh, the types of things that are uh, going to require less training, right? Because I do know that, I mean, the veterinarians have gone through their schooling and they have this expansive level of knowledge that, that they uh, obtain. And then uh, when we talk about nurse practitioners, we're talking about a master's level degree is what it's likely to be. I'm not saying that's the only way mm-hmm. to do it, but that's likely. And so uh, they're going to get some uh, clinical decision-making skills. They're going to have uh, critical tr- uh, training and critical thinking Um, and uh, some of the medical aspect that uh, technicians um, don't receive currently uh, and so then uh, if you can think about some of the lighter um, case the types of cases that we see but maybe it's like the ear infection that we need to be taken mm. care of or uh, you know some of the uh, well skin conditions could get really uh, horrible but uh, you know some of the uh, less intensive cases are the ones that uh, these nurse practitioner type uh, professionals would be Uh, taken care of, at least initially, as the uh, profession progresses. And then the veterinarian could be focusing on the more involved cases. And then it's maybe that the the veterinarians are focusing on the more involved surgery cases. And so then they don't have to be uh, having their time taken up by uh, some of the the cases that require less attention, and they can focus on the ones that uh, are more and more um, involved.
0: I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it it definitely does. I mean, we've we've talked a, a lot about um, practicing at the top of your licensure, meaning you know, veterinarians are 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 using the uh, diagnostic and treatment skills that they were trained to use, uh, while technicians get to sort of practice at the top of their licensure as well, and and the the thought being, it, it, this is going to break out well for everyone as far as. Feeling like you're doing rewarding work, and then also financial compensation. Like if vets have more time to do surgeries or do uh, advanced cases, then then they will probably financially do just fine, um, even if you know if they're not doing all of the lower level cases or the or the wellness work that they used to do.
1: So if I can give an example in the emergency, because I think that um, you know makes uh, it gives me a little bit more of a concrete uh, examples to give. Um, so if we're thinking about uh, a situation where it's an emergency room. The doctor is seeing a hemoabdomen case and performing a splenectomy in surgery. And a patient comes in that just ate somebody's underwear and they need to get that, that taken out, right? Something like that. Um, the, uh, this nurse practitioner type role could probably either do an endoscopy procedure in order to try to mm-hmm. get that out, or maybe it's that uh, we go ahead and give the apomorphine to make the animal vomit it out initially before that point. And if they can't get it out, they move on to the endoscopy. But uh, that process of uh, making that decision and going through those processes while uh, the doctor is unavailable, those are the kinds of places where these nurse practitioners can be very functional. And um, and may not re- necessarily require the doctor to have to scrub out and then come in uh, come back out although splenectomies are pretty like you know urgent uh, emergency cases so that's probably not the best example that I gave there but uh, something else that they're working on so that uh, those patients still can be seen and we can continue to see the um, the patient incoming patients without having to create a bottlenecks
0: yeah that that totally makes sense. Real quick, sort of as we look to the future, because this is not I- imminent. So anyone whose blood is uh, boiling, anyone who's who's having to, you know, knock back some uh, some blood pressure medications, uh, ju- uh, this is not this is not this is not immediately on the horizon. Uh, Ken, w- when you kind of look ahead, uh, you know, and, and and sort of look at the future, uh, what are, what are the things that would have to happen? in order for something like this to move forward because because we're not we're not there this is definitely not upon us but it's just looking down the road what are the things that would have to happen to to create a system like this I think it goes back to what you mentioned regarding the education of uh, veterinary
1: technicians, right? You said that uh, there's uh, associates. Most of the people that are out there as credential technicians are people who have gone through an associate's degree. And so then we need to move towards people having bachelor's degrees of some kind that qualify mm-hmm. for the next level. Uh, there is a need for an educational process like a ma- uh, likely to be a master's degree that uh, teaches people the uh, clinical judgment skills the critical thinking abilities, coordination of care, uh, different kinds of topics that uh, technicians don't currently get in their veterinary technology or nursing programs. And then, um, once we have people who are qualified to be uh, qualified to function at this type of level, there probably needs to be a certification process of some, some kind. Is this an application process? Is the examination process? And who accredits all of these the educational process as well as um, the certification process? And then uh, that's where we have individuals that uh, are able to um, show that they have additional skill sets that uh, mm-hmm. then uh, will probably lead to the legislative changes that uh, will allow states to say people with these credentials are able to have this type of scope of practice because they have higher qualifications.
0: So yeah, it's it's It sounds like a process pretty pretty huge process but uh, (laughs) the
1: process that uh, the uh, physician's assistant um, profession has gone through uh, Mm -hmm. nurse practitioners have and more most recently um, i've seen an article coming out uh, saying that um, uh, the respiratory therapists have recently graduated their first class of people who have obtained a master's degree aimed towards advanced practice respiratory therapists. And so that's kind of the pathway that, that these professions are taking. And we can definitely, um, you know, look, look at uh, this for the veterinary profession as a whole as well. And I think uh, going to um, back to the, uh, maybe the counterpoint of, or the opposition from people saying that, that we need to focus on other things first, standardizing the the profession itself and uh, working on the utilization level of existing uh, technicians. Absolutely, those are all important things that we need to be working on now. But once we fix that, and we still have this issue of uh, credential technicians not having a further career pathway once they get there, then we're going to run into the same thing where people are seeing ceilings that, 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 that practices are not willing to pay more for technicians because of a certain level of utility that, that they camp out at. And so this is more, I, I see this as a solution for the future, that while we're working on the things that we need to work on today, we need to be working on what's going to be solutions for us in the future as well and and so uh, that's probably part of the reason why even though uh, there might be some uh, opposing voices to this i see that there's more and more supportive voices to it and it's worth exploring so that our profession can continue to grow
0: hey guys I just want to jump in real quick with a couple super awesome announcements uh over on the uncharted veterinary podcast came out yesterday how do you teach accountability uh we uh, got a Question in the mailbag about what do you do with the person who works for you, who makes a ton of excuses and it's always somebody else's fault and it's always something that couldn't be controlled and mistakes get made, but it's never my fault. How do you teach that person some accountability? That's what Stephanie Goss and I get into, uh, free wherever you get your podcast, Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. How do you teach accountability? And that is out now um, over on the Uncharted side of the house. Guys, we have a new workshop. It is coming out on October the 9th. It is from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern, uh, 12 to 2 Pacific. This is Dr. Tracy Sands teaching empowering your team to get positive and stay that way. Guys, do you have a team that is tired, that is burned out, that is worn down, that has slipped slowly into negativity and just being bummed or being down or being down on the clients or being down on the work. Um, guys, it's understandable. It's, it's been a hard time for a lot of us and people have uh, have felt that and your team may be feeling that. If they are feeling that, don't throw your hands up. Don't just let it go. It's time to put that work in and push those guys back towards being positive. Get them back to enjoying their job and feeling good about what they're doing. That's what this workshop is about. It is two hours, it is hands-on. Dr. Tracy Sands is amazing. She's a good friend of mine. I highly recommend. This workshop is free to Uncharted members. It is $99 to the public. You do not want to miss it. Also, the uncharted culture conference is coming at you October 21st through the 23rd. That is also virtual. Um it is going to be all about building culture in your practice, you know. It is a, it is a three-day online event all about culture and you're going to hear from a large variety of speakers they're going to be all sorts of sessions on all sorts of things if you're a culture junkie if you want your practice to run smoothly and be a great place to work guys the uncharted culture conference is for you check it out links in the show note uh, head over to unchartedvet.com as always to learn about what we have going on there gang without further ado let's get back into this episode You know, I I heard recently about a new technician program associated with LMU. Are you familiar with that? Does that ring any bells? Uh, You're probably talking about the master's program that the LMU is
1: proposing. Yep.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about, uh, I I just sort of recently heard about LMU, Lincoln Memorial University's College of Vet Medicine, is doing a master's program for technicians. And it's sort of integrated in with the, you know, with the training of veterinarians, uh, it was the first I sort of heard about the program. Are you familiar and kind of how does that fit in with our conversation? Yeah, I am familiar with
1: that uh, being put in place, that uh, there's work being done on it. Um, I don't know too much about the content of it and what the courses look like and all those kinds of things, but uh, I think that um, those types of uh, degrees being put forward by uh, Schools is going to be one of the first steps in which we uh, move towards this nurse practitioner role. That uh, we do need people with additional training. We know that uh, there's a certain um, curriculum standard that uh, the ABMA accredited programs follow, and they don't. Uh, they are not um, going to take uh, veterinary technicians to be able to function in the way that we want nurse practitioners to function. Um, and unless those standards change in a drastic manner and so so this is kind of the the master's degree that um, we're looking for to be on top of our current education for uh, creating the individuals that uh, are able to um, have the skill set that they need to function in the way that we want them to
0: so as we uh, wrap up our conversation let, let me I want to go back to one thing that, that you said that that kind of um, that was a new idea to me uh, independent practice ownership so the idea that if there were veterinary nurse practitioners they might have their own uh their own locations or the, their own uh you know uh, clinical you know practices do you see do you see that and i know that, that that's something in human medicine that sort of um it, it not uncommon uh yeah how, how does that fit into the future of vet medicine do you do you think that something like that is is possible
1: uh, possible is a tricky word. That Possible? Sure. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I don't think that's what we're looking for right now. That uh, I think uh, talking about independent practice rights for veterinary technicians or veterinary nurse practitioners, um, that's something that scares a lot of people out there. Uh, and that's not what we're looking for. We just want a way to find more people to come into this field that can serve different functions so that we can make up a team Serving under the uh, the license of the veterinarian is totally fine. That uh, we just want to find ways to help more patients and bring in uh, more and more professionals that are able to serve the functions that we need on the floor, so that uh, they can take on the workload. Because we're struggling and we need solutions, and that's why we're talking about this today.
0: Yeah, I think I think when people start to talk about things like radical changes, like a vet nurse practitioner, things like that, I, I, a lot of people catastrophize, right? They go they go to oh my God, if we do this, then suddenly vet technicians will have their own hospitals and they'll be half the price of regular hospitals. And they'll do all the things that we do, even if they're not supposed to, because who's going to catch them? And my, you know, and, and I'll be living in the forest in an abandoned minivan and eating dirt and squirrels that I catch. And like, it just goes down this road of if we do this then it will lead to this and this and this will be a complete overhaul of our system and and the poor general practice doctor is going to be obliterated and i think i think i think that's human nature is to catastrophize that way and and then the pushback is if we don't do this then we will be overwhelmed to the point that burnout will go to 100% and no one will be like the old timers in our profession will have worked for seven years and those will be the most senior people because no one else will last more than a year before they're toast. And and, and, and again, both of these are uh, completely ludicrous situations. I, I think the answer is clearly in the middle. I think that we're going to compromise and there'll be a lot of pushing back and forth. And ultimately, I think it's from um, To Kill a Mockingbird. They talk about, you know, uh, there is a compromise to the point that no one was happy and that was probably the best outcome. And it's like, I, I suspect that's 100% where we'll be. In 10 years from now, looking back, we will we will make something work. And, and I do I do think, you know, looking at the constraints that we have, the manpower that we have, the rising caseload that we have, the problem with burnout that we have, I do think we've we've got to we've got to build inefficiencies. The uh, the AVMA published that study uh, a couple of weeks ago, saying that inefficiency was a much bigger problem than increasing caseload. And boy, that hacks some people off. Um, but I I think that there I don't know how much truth there is to that because I don't want people sending me angry emails. But I believe that there is at least some truth to that. Of we really do have to figure out some efficiencies because at some point we have to accept the situation and go we have we have the people that we have and we have the educational system that we have um and we have the caseload that we have and uh, what we're doing i'm i'm not convinced it's working i think i think we need to make some changes that may not be radically overhauling the system i don't think it is but i do think that there are a number of probably smaller measures that we need to make and I think that uh, one of the reasons why I'm so invested in
1: this idea is because uh, over the course of my time, uh, seeing people out there, one of the common things that I hear is I've I've hit a ceiling. I don't have room for growth or, um, or I don't see future growth in this uh, profession. And so I'm going to look elsewhere. Uh, so then those are the people that go to human medicine. They become nurse practitioners in the human medicine field. And this is one of those solutions that we can put in place that allows people who are the most ambitious, who are the brightest, they are most driven, that want to continue growing and expand on how they can help animals better to stay in the field. And, and that's why I think this is hugely important for our profession.
0: Well, you and I have both seen um, some well-known veterinary technician specialists leave and go into research, uh, leave clinical practice and go into research. And that, that's that been in the last you know year or two. And some of the people who, who lecture and who are just brilliant and wonderful for our profession, you know, have, have gone other places. And, and I, I think it's really sad. I, I don't, I don't like that. I think a lot about that. I had a technician talk to me one time, it was a conversation I always remember, but um, she was just so disheartened and despondent and this is someone I worked with and I, I like this person and she did a good job. And she was, uh, she was just talking about sort of leaving and, and I, I basically kind of pinned her down on, on why, like, 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 what, what, what is the thing that's making this an, an issue? And she pointed to another technician who had been in the practice for like 30 years doing the exact same job. And she was like, I cannot be here in 30 years doing the exact same job I'm doing now. And that, that's always stuck with me uh, when I think about technicians and, and I get it. Like I, it, in that moment, it very much made sense to me. And uh, so I just, I, I am all about, you know, I, I think we should, all, we should all be learning and we should all be growing and we should all be moving forward. And I feel like that, um, I feel like that ceiling for technicians is something that we as a profession have to figure out. And if we don't figure it out, then the technicians will figure out their own path and that will be leaving practices and going into industry and going into research or going into other things. And that's not, that's not what I want for my practice. You know, I don't, I don't wanna lose my best people that way. I gotta figure out how to keep them growing and keep them engaged. And I think that that is a worthy challenge for us veterinarians to keep our people. And
1: I'll also add that uh, when you think about people leaving the field or changing their specialty area because they feel like they don't have anywhere else to go, I also see it even within the, the single clinical setting. Uh, or the practice setting, I should say, Um, there are three different pathways that people could take as they grow as a veterinary technician. Some of them, and many of them, go into management, right? Leadership side. And so they have the ability to become practice managers or hospital managers or something like that. And then they actually deviate from what they wanted to do, which is take care of the animals. And then um, there's the education pathway. They become trainers. They go out and conduct CE, things like that, because that's the next place that they can feel like they're growing. But when you think about the clinical pathway, the pure clinical pathway, there's a very low ceiling and a early cap to that. And so we need to continue yeah. growing the clinical pathway. And this is the nurse practitioner role is exactly that.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, I think that that's a I think that that is a, a really good point. And I think, yeah, it's, um, thanks for having this conversation with me. It's, it's, it's a lot to think about. It's definitely something I'm going to continue to, to sort of think on and, and digest, but I really appreciate you taking time to talk through it with me. Uh, where can people find you or learn more about, um, about your exploits?
1: Uh, First place that you could probably go is uh, the veterinary emergency group um, website. There's a nursing section that uh, details a lot of the things that we are doing to change the field out there. Um, And uh, you can always find me at um, uh, RVT at gmail.com. Email me there if you want to talk
0: further about anything that I'm doing. Cool. Thanks a lot, Ken. Take care. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. I, I really enjoyed my conversation with Ken. And it uh, it had its ups and downs. And there were some places that definitely stressed me out uh, just thinking about the future. But the future is scary and change is scary. And, you know, I, um, I just I think that starting to have these conversations and think about what's possible, I think that's so much more healthy than just putting our head in the sand and not... Investigating possibilities. I just, that's, I don't know. It's just sort of a, a key piece in my life and philosophy Is we should, we should look at this. We should talk at this. We should see what's possible. So, anyway, guys, that's it. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you did, please write me an honest review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. It means the world to me. If you didn't, um, just, you, just, you can, just, you can. You can send me an email, I guess. Uh it's podcast at drandywork.com. But you you don't need to share that with the world. You, you that can just be between you and me. I'm I'm fine with that. Um anyway, guys <laughs> guys, take care of yourselves. Be well. I'll talk to you soon.